So we're starting a new series today titled Guardrails. For those of you that don't know, guardrails, guardrails is, is a system designed, a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas, much like what you saw in the opening video. The system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And not only that, some of the three places you would find guardrails are going to be on bridges where there's little room for error. Anybody drive the uh, Harry Nice Bridge going 301 to, to uh, I about said New Life, to, uh, to Maryland, right? Any, any white knuckle drivers on that bridge where you're just nervous and terrified? One of my friends told me one time, he, the first time we're going over the bridge, we're about four minutes from this bridge. And he said, Pastor Brandon, I got to tell you, I really don't like that bridge. He's driving. He's like, I tell you, I really don't like that bridge. And I'm like, okay. He goes, so what I need you to do, and anytime somebody says this, you really need to lean in because this means they're really scared. He said, I need you to talk to me the whole time going over that bridge, especially when we're at the top. It's like, you want to pull over and let me drive, man? Like, are you sure? <laughs> so bridges, the guardrails on bridges where there's just little room for error. There's very little room for error. On medians, right, they serve as medians to protect you from oncoming traffic, right? So there's guardrails in that regard also. And then on soft shoulders or curves where there's unexpected changes in the direction of the road. And guardrails do two things. Guardrails direct and guardrails protect. They direct this flow of traffic and they protect the individuals in the vehicles. And this is another thing, and I've got a graphic to help you understand this, that guardrails are not placed in the danger zone. Placing guardrails off the, the 301 bridge would be useless. You want them on the road to keep you on the road. Somebody say amen. I do not want my guardrail in the bottom of the Potomac and wonder why I flew off the edge of the bridge. Right? So guardrails, just like the, it shows, are inside of the safety zone, where you're safe to travel, the places where you're safe to move. So they do take a little bit from your space that you might have. Sure, you could drive a little closer to the edge if you wanted to, if you're a little, you know, a little, you know, driven by adrenaline like that then you could do that. But the problem is you make one small mistake, just like in the video, and it's a catastrophic, a catastrophic, horrible amounts of damage, maybe even death. And you know that. And guardrails are designed to minimize damage, not stop it completely. Okay. Those of you that have been in accidents before, and you understand that you can hit a guardrail and it's still going to cause some damage to you and to your vehicle, but it's minor by comparison. I would rather hit a guardrail than a semi-truck head-on, right? So this is the importance of having guardrails in all the different areas that we lead in all the different areas that we have in our life, particularly on the road. And the highway isn't the only place that we need guardrails. Believe it or not, we need guardrails in our life. We need guardrails at different areas in our life. So for the next few weeks, we are specifically going to talk about the guardrails that we should probably put in place that the Bible talks about that either Jesus, the Apostle Paul, or maybe even some of the Old Testament characters talk about and experience. We're going to talk about some of those guardrails. And before you press against it and say, no, I don't need guardrails, Pastor, I like to live my life a quarter mile at a time. Well, hold on, Vin Diesel, because I think that you might want to go ahead and readdress that or re rethink that. Because some of your greatest regrets could probably have been avoided, and you probably know this better than I do, could have been avoided if you just put in 
a guardrail, a moral guardrail, a financial guardrail, a relational guardrail, a professional guardrail. This, your greatest regrets, the ones that you think about, that you talk to God about a lot of times, that you're uncomfortable you know, talking to us about or talking about in your small group that just make you really uncomfortable, those regrets would probably have been avoided if you would have put some guardrails in place. We all have those things that probably would have been better if we would have put some guardrails in place. And here's the rub. Culture is not interested in you putting in guardrails. Culture is interested in what I call painted lines. Painted lines. These are the lines on the road. They're suggestions, right? The ones that, that we look over and we see it's like it's, it's a soft shoulder. It's a, it's a white line kind of keeping us in the center. But how many of you know that you can cross that white line? You cross that white line all the time. You take that extra space on the shoulder when you want to. Maybe it's because you're texting on your phone, but I know it's not because you're holy people. But that's why they put the ribs in for those of us that are texting and then we go off the road, right? But that's what culture's more interested in is painted lines, painted lines. Something that's very easy to cross over, but you at least say, well, you said something. Get an example of these, example of these. Drink responsibly. What does that mean? What is responsible? What happens, and I'm going to make some of you uncomfortable, when you drink at all? Is it still responsible? What happens when you drink so much you can't be responsible anymore? How do you drink responsibly? Well, that seems like that's a painted line. Or here's a good one, sex. Wait till you're ready. Now, 14-year-old Brandon would have told you, I was ready. 32-year-old Brandon would have said he wasn't ready, right? You, as parents, if you have teenagers, you know that they think they're ready, and you're like, y'all, homie, you know, I ain't ready yet, right? But culture says those kind of things, or just protect yourself, right? Just do those kind of things. You're like, no, 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 that's a painted line. That doesn't work. And all of us that have been around for a minute, we know that. Or as it relates to your money, they tell you really two things, invest, 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 invest. In what? Just invest. In what? Real estate, okay, what do I do? Well, real estate, invest, invest, invest. Okay, well, that doesn't really help me. Or consolidate your debts. What? You want me to put all my debts together? I don't really understand what you mean by consolidation. These are painted lines. They're not hard guardrails that just kind of keep you on the straight and narrow. And here's the one that Disney's gotten most famous for. Listen to your heart. Don't listen to your heart. In fact, David tells us it's deceitful above all things. That if you listen to your heart, you're not actually listening to your heart. You're, you're going astray and you're going to cause more problems for yourself than anything, anything else. But again, culture wants us to have painted lines. They're not interested in guardrails. And again, many of us are going to feel uncomfortable. We don't want pastor, I don't want guardrails because those sound like rules. I don't like rules. Well, I mean, you probably do like rules. You have rules for your kids. You don't want them to do bad things. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want your kids to have painted lines. You want them to have guardrails. You give them rules. You give them places to play. You give them situations and moments, and you guide them and direct them. Your heavenly Father is doing the same thing for you. We just have to be mature enough and accepting enough to hear it. So, case in point, culture is not for, is not for, uh, for guardrails at all. In fact, in 2017, the Harvard Business Review, the Harvard Business Review put out an article. Now, those of you that paid attention in 2017, you may remember this. 
But the vice president at the time, Mike Pence, had something called the Billy Graham rule. Those of you that know Billy Graham, you know this rule. Billy Graham came out with a rule in the 60s that he carried on for the rest of his life was that in, in situations, certain situations, he would not be with a woman alone simply because he wanted to have that guardrail in place because he didn't want to give any space for something to go awry or something to not go well as he was sitting with a woman. So he would not have dinner with someone of the opposite sex without it being in a restaurant or in an open space with lots of people there. He would have an open door policy when it related to women, even women he was pastoring and women that he was leading with. He had an open door policy, so maybe they had to have a conversation, but the door would be open. That's the way he handled things. Mike Pence in 2017, it came about that he actually did the exact same thing in the White House. He had the same type of, of guardrail put in place, the same type of viewpoint put in place. And he got torn apart for it. He got absolutely torn apart for it. And in fact, the Harvard Business Review article talks about it. And this is specifically the one that just kind of tears him apart. And, and let, me, let me be clear. This article makes some excellent points. It makes some absolutely excellent, excellent points. And that rule, the Billy Graham rule, has been misused and abused to put women in an unadvantageous position as it relates to the workplace. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that is not true. What I'm trying to say is use this as an example of where someone put a guardrail in and culture said no. So the Harvard Business Review released this. They released this statement after spending the whole time on the article and talking about how horrible it is that, that, that men shouldn't even consider something like this and that he's a sexist, that, that Billy Graham and Mike Pence were both sexist for doing this and, and they didn't care about women in the workplace and it was just going to hurt them. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I said, the article does make some excellent points that when out of context and misused, it does indeed hurt women. So I'm not making that argument, but this is where they land. So what's an evolved male leader to do? Listen to the charged language in this statement. In the simplest terms, become what we call a thoughtful caveman. Now, I've never heard of a cave woman, but I know there were cave women. I know there were cave women, but nobody ever is comfortable saying a cave woman, but for some reason we're comfortable saying a caveman. And this, this person, this, this author is actually hinting back to a book they wrote where they put an entire thing on uh, the thoughtful caveman. And it continues. It says, healthy, mature, self-aware men understand and accept their distinctly male neural architecture. I don't know what that last sentence means. <clears throat> I pulled out a dictionary all week. And I go, I'm not really sure what your point is. I'm not really sure. But the, the point is, I mean, like healthy, mature, self-aware men, I would say healthy, mature, self-aware individuals understand the risks that come with life and the risks that come operating in a fallen world where people don't always have your best intentions at heart and people may not care about you the way that you would hope they care about you. 
And again, this has been mischaracterized and misapplied, so I'm not trying to say that it's for everybody, but before you send me an email or a text message or pull me aside before you leave to tell me how much you disagree with it, wait for later in the series. I'm actually going to talk a little bit about it, okay? So don't send me an email yet. Don't send me a text message yet. Don't call and tell me how, how horrible I am until after then. Then you can do all those things, okay? Just hear the whole argument before we get there. The point is, if you opt for guardrails, you will not be celebrated. You won't. You will not be celebrated, but you will have fewer regrets in your life. You absolutely will have fewer regrets and make fewer, far fewer mistakes. Because again, most of your regrets are probably tied to a time or a moment when you could have or should have put a guardrail in your life and you did not, right? And let's be honest. Culture is going to go after you and wear you out and everything else for putting in a guardrail, both in the workplace or maybe other places. But what do they say, and we'll use the Billy Graham rule specifically as an example, what do they say about a man or a woman who cheats? I mean, are they forgiving to them? Don't they call them homewrecker, disgusting, it's horrible, how could you ever do anything? I mean, come on, we have songs written about it. I dug my key into the sand. Right? <laughs> so if you sing, we need more vocalists on the platform because the pastor can't cover if, if Heather's... No! I got to do what only I can do well. I don't can't do that. So the point is, is that, that culture is going to go after you when you don't have them or, or when you do have them, but they're going to totally tear you apart when you make a mistake anyway. When you veer off center, when you go off, you're, you're going to be torn apart anyway by culture. So much so that I've seen it in the military. You cheat on your husband or your wife in the military, you will get busted down in rank. But then the next thing they talk, all they talk about is openly of sex and sex all the time. And there's no guardrails. There's no respect. There's nothing all the time. But then they would be the first ones to bust you down in rank because of a mistake you made. And you maybe your career, it's the exact same thing. So again, if you opt for guardrails, if you opt for guardrails, you will not be celebrated, but you will have fewer regrets. And listen, I don't want, if we're being honest, I don't enjoy having guardrails either. I would like to live my life right on the edge. I truly would. But my life, my family, my job, my wife, my kids are too important to me to mess it up. My calling is too important to mess up. I have too many people relying on me. I have too many people looking at me. I cannot do it. And the same is true for you. The same is true for you. You have too many people relying on you to be thrown off by not having a guardrail. You, your family has been through too much. Your relationships matter too much. Your calling is too important. Your role in life is too important to be derailed by not having financial, relational, friendship, professional guardrails put in place. And we've seen what happens with people who don't put in guardrails, right? You've seen those marriages fall apart. You've seen those people be fired from the job force. You've seen those businesses fail and businesses close. You've seen those leaders fall from grace because there's no guardrails put in place. You've seen friendships destroyed. You've seen tons of things happen because we aren't comfortable putting guardrails in place. And the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament both address this. In fact, the, the piece we're going to be looking at today is Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. So let me give you some context to the church 
to the, to the letter to the church in Ephesus. So it's written around 60 to 67 AD. That's when most scholars think it was written, so early on in the process. Authored by Paul, probably when he was in prison, one of the times he was in prison, in Rome. And it, was not, it may not have really been written to the church in Ephesus, probably more written to the general church, just happened to get snagged by the church in Ephesus. But this was probably Paul's line out or explanation of Christian living, because if you pay attention to what he writes, he writes a lot of really practical things in Ephesians. Romans is a super theological, but Ephesians in particular is very practical. He's outlining how Christian living is. He outlines how a Christian household should behave. He outlines how we love one another and how the church is equipped. So it's not really corrective as much in nature in Ephesians, it's more of a general guideline in Ephesians. And he, he finishes this area, like the section we're about to start. He spends the first part talking about things we would all agree with. He begins talking about the dangers of greed. He begins talking about the dangers of cheating on your wife or on your husband. He talks about financial importance. He ta- and he uses specific language involved all throughout this. He talks about immorality and dishonesty. And, and again, all these are things that if we heard Paul talk about today, we'd be like, oh yeah, Paul, that makes total sense. Absolutely. We back it. We support it. We are all there until we get to this next one and we go, I don't want a guardrail though. I agree immorality is bad. I agree dishonesty is horrible. I agree that, you know, it destroys relationships and destroys marriages and all these other things. I agree with all that, Paul, but I'm not sure that I'm really ready for the guardrail. So before we press against it, before we resist, I encourage you to just hear what he wants to say. In Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, remember, he's covered all the specific things before then, all the dangers of the world that can be translated to exactly what we experience today. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And the direct translation says, watch your step. Watch where you're stepping. Be careful where you walk. Those of you that have dogs in the yard, you know how important it is to watch where you walk. The apostle's saying the same thing in your life, that you got to be careful of where you're walking and how you live and the way that you behave. And he says, don't do it as unwise people, but do it as wise people. Now, wisdom is a filter through which we should make decisions. And you go, okay, Brandon, well, what is wisdom? Well, given my experience of things I've experienced in the past, my current situation, what I'm going through, the decisions I have to make, and where I want to be in the future, that's probably the biggest one we don't take into account when we make a decision. So when you need to make a wise decision, not necessarily a right or wrong decision, just a wise decision, ask yourself that question based on what I know in the past and what I've been through in the past, based on what decision I need to make right now or what I'm experiencing in this moment, and what I want to be my future. What is the wise thing to do? Not necessarily right, not necessarily wrong. What is the right or what is the wise thing to do? The apostle says we should behave as wise instead of unwise. The unwise person, the the implication, the opposite is the fool. We don't like to say that. We don't like to call people fools. But the fool is the individual who who doesn't recognize those things. Just makes decisions willy-nilly, one thing right after another, kind of whatever feels good or sounds good or tastes good or whatever. We're just going to do that, and then we look back, and we call them fools. We go, that doesn't make any sense. Don't they want to buy a house? Why are they buying all these things? 
right? Or we sit back and we go, well, I mean, don't they want to have kids one day or don't they want their kids to be able to go to college? Why are they making these decisions now? And you, you know people like this. You've experienced it. And Paul says, we shouldn't live our life that way. We should recognize and be very careful how we live. Pay attention to where we step. He continues, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And those of you that are reading a different version, the ESV or the NASB or the King James, New King James, they define that, they have this section called redeeming the time. That's how it says it. And that's actually the best translation for it. And I would be willing to bet that if I gave you a magic wand, there would probably be some time that you would like to redeem in your life. That there would be a time you wish you could look back and say, I really wish I could have made different decisions. I wish I could have recognized and thought about my future when I did that. I wish I could have thought about my kids when I made that decision or when I did that specific thing. So he says, redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity, recognizing they're interconnected, recognizing that I don't have unlimited amounts of time and decisions to do things. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are evil. Now, that applied to the first century because they were being persecuted by Rome and they were, they were being killed at the rapid rate. But that also applies today too. It's so important that we recognize that sometimes people don't have your best interests at heart. Sometimes organizations don't have your best interests at heart. Sometimes people, believe it or not, they don't care about you. They may say they do, but then their actions say something completely, completely different. The days are evil. We can't afford to be careless is the apostle's point. Now, how many of you have been in def defensive driving classes before? I've been in defensive driving classes before in the military and things like that. Or let me, let me make a, a better general question. So this is an interactive thing. Um, what did your parents tell you when you were learning to drive? Look out for the other what? The other person, the other driver, right? We all had the same talk. We all had the same talk. That's the only other person you can't account for. The tree's not going to jump out in front of you, but that other person might, right? That's what they always say. You got to be careful what you're doing and how you're doing it. And you got to pay attention because the guardrail is going to keep you protected from the other people also. And again, I'm with you. I'm not comfortable with it either. I don't like having them in. Sometimes they're inconvenient. Sometimes you wish it was different. Sometimes you're going to say, you know what, I'll just take this guardrail down this one time. And then before you know it, you don't have a guardrail up at all. And then your life kind of starts to drift off into the ditch just a little bit. So we cannot, we cannot do that. He says in verse 17, therefore, so given all that, being careful where you're walking, paying attention to what you're doing, all that kind of stuff. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. And this is specifically for Christians in the room. So if you're a Christian, this, this verse is for you. If you're not a Christian, you're not a Jesus follower yet, you're not sure if you're following, you're you kind of feeling it out. This one's more of a like, hey, I'm going to suggest this, you know. But if you don't believe in Jesus, hey, this, this really doesn't apply to you. If you believe in Jesus, though, this is for you. Do not lie to yourself. You know what the Lord's will is. You know that God would not be happy with you making that decision. If you're a Christian, 
If you're not a Christian, this is not for you again. But if you're a Christian, let me pour a little bit of a little bit of condemnation on you for a second. You know, you lie to yourself. You look in the mirror and you say, no, 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 it's okay. I'm okay because of A, B, C, and D. And in your heart, you know, and the Holy Spirit's pulling on you, tugging on you, pressing on you, saying, you shouldn't and cannot do that. And you sit and you play it out in your head and you go, yeah, but it's okay. Yeah, but it's okay. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, it may be okay by culture, but it's not okay by my standards. And so many Christians, again, this is just for the Christians. We make excuses. We make excuses and we lie to ourself. And we make excuses. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't make excuses. Do you know what the Lord's will is? I mean, come on, it's, it's very simple. You know what the Lord's will is sometimes. Sometimes it's difficult, I understand that. But there are times when we as Christians just sit back and make excuses. And we say, no, 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 it's okay. Now, next Paul transitions and gives us a one thing leads to another. So if you're not a Christian, you can tune back in. Christians, you feel condemned, congratulations, you're ready to leave church. But you still got a couple more minutes with me, okay? So... In verse 18, the apostle continues, and he does a, a one thing leads to another example, okay? So, so, so listen to this, all right, as we begin to unpack it, because some of you are going to go, this ain't my church, but just hold on, okay? And in, in verse 18, the apostle says, do not get drunk on wine. Some of you throw in the towel right there. This ain't it. This ain't it. This ain't my church. I ain't here. Hold on. Hold on. Do not get drunk on wine. See, at the time, wine was a stable of the diet because they didn't have water. Water was very dangerous to, to drink at the time. A lot of people weren't able to get it and boil it and filter it. So it was very dangerous. So, but wine, because of the fermenting process, was a lot more clean and a lot safer to drink. So while you may get drunk on wine, you'll get dead on water. That's basically what we knew. Okay, So that's not the case today. All right? Don't go around saying, Pastor said water's bad and wine is good. <laughs> I mean, we may fill the church up next week, but don't do that. Don't go telling people that's what the pastor said, okay? So wine was a stable. It was very, very important. So he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, and I left that blank for you to fill in. I mean, come on, you put it, you put it in there. Those of you that are adults that have drank before and maybe drank to excess, sure, maybe you can say some good things, but some of the worst things you've ever done maybe are associated with it. So, so you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. Does anything come to mind? Does any moment come to mind? Does any person come to mind when you fill in the blank? And let me just go ahead and say this and make you uncomfortable and this is just what it is. If more than one person tells you you drink too much, you drink too much. You do. If more than one person has told you that you drink too much, you do. All right, back to Paul. So, <laughs> Paul, I just, you know, we don't go there very often. I figured we need to dabble occasionally, okay? So the problem is not with getting drunk is what it leads to. The act of drinking is not the problem, right? The apostle's making the point. That's not the problem. The problem is what it leads to. What it leads to. Drunk is the guardrail. Some of you, it's the goal. <laughs> but it's okay, because we're in church this morning. You made it no matter how you smell, right? So, <laughs> the, 
Drunk is the guardrail. That's when you know I maybe need to let off the gas a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm veering into some dangerous, dangerous territory. And it's funny, and we joke about it right up until somebody gets punched. It's all fun and games. It's all fun and games until you hit somebody. It's all fun and games until a car veers across the line and hits a group of teenagers. It's all fun and games until a student did it in college and everybody did it, but all of a sudden the student can't quit. It's all fun and games when you just started having a couple after dinner and that was it and a couple turned into a couple more and a couple more turned into a couple more and now you need it to function as soon as you get home. It's all fun and games until the guardrail's not in place. Now, is drunk a sin? It's foolish. Being drunk consistently is foolish. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which is just overall horrible immorality. And I don't think any of us would argue with that. I think, any, I think most of us understand that. But Paul gives us an instead. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this is a dichotomy. There's a dichotomy that exists in the New Testament where God's Spirit, if you believe in Jesus, takes up residence in our consciousness, okay, takes up residence in our hearts and in our minds and influences and helps us influence what we do, okay? It acts as an influencer and it guides and directs us. It should be your best friend, the Holy Spirit. He should be your best friend because he's the one that taps on your conscious. There's a dichotomy here. There's a dichotomy here that if you're Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, you should not get into a place where you're filling yourself with something else that's going to sway your decision in a direction that's not what's best for you or for your family. The Holy Spirit is that one that taps your conscience when things feel a little uncomfortable. And right when you, it's not yelling, the Holy Spirit doesn't often yell. And, and I mean, he does at me sometimes, but I'm pretty dense, so... There's moments where he yells at me, but most of the time it's not yelling, it's not fire and brimstone correction. A lot of times it's just a, uh, 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 I don't know that you should do that. I don't, I don't know if you should go with them. I don't know if that's the best group to be hanging out with tonight. I don't know if you should answer that phone call this late at night. I don't know if you should, you know, go to that website. I don't know if that's something that you really want to do. The Holy Spirit's the one that guides and taps on your conscience. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's uncomfortable. Everything we've talked about so far in having a guardrail is uncomfortable and it's difficult. Because, again, culture's not going to celebrate you, but they will berate you when you fail. But they're not going to celebrate you because you put in some sort of guardrail. They're not, your friends are not going to celebrate you because you stopped having that last beer, okay? They're not. They're not going to celebrate you because you won't go out to dinner with certain people. They're not going to celebrate you because you start to distance yourself from a group of friends. That's not going to happen. It's not, not going to, they're not going to celebrate you because you decided not to spend all your money on the new TV or the new iPhone or the new thing. They're not going to. It's just not going to happen. But again, you will have fewer regrets if you do that. Because the entire verse that we've gone over says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the 
spirit. Guardrails, ladies and gentlemen, are defensive living. They're defensive living. They're how we watch how we live. They are how we watch where we step. And you will find it much easier to discern the will of God in your life if you establish guardrails. Why? Because stepping away from the thing that might hurt you or the thing that doesn't have your best interest in heart is stepping closer to the one who loves you. And when you're giving yourself over to the things that you need to have a guardrail to and the things you shouldn't be around, and when you save yourself over to that, you're pulling yourself further away from your heavenly Father. The series we're going to go over the next few weeks, I encourage you to be at every one of the messages because everyone's going to be important. Everyone's going to grow you. It's going to press on you. It's probably going to make you uncomfortable. And that's a good thing because that's called growing in your faith. So it's going to be uncomfortable. But this series is all about becoming a more surrendered person. It's about being a more surrendered person. Surrendered to the will of God. Surrendered to the things that he wants us to to do, surrender to his will instead of our will. So, next steps. What happens next? Let me ask you this question. Where do you need to start? Where are the areas in your life that you recognize maybe you need to put a guardrail in? The Holy Spirit's been pulling on you. He's been kind of directing you. Kind of, hey, hey, I don't think you should do that. Hey, hey, I think that's enough. Hey, hey, I think you really need to pay attention to this tension over here. Right? When that happens, where are those areas in your life? Answer them honestly. Don't lie to yourself. What is it that you need to face up to? What are the things that you just need to say, yeah, I do that, and I should stop? It's hurting me. It's hurting my family. It's hurting my, my wife, my, my husband, my kids. It's hurting my heavenly father. To stay with our driving analogy, where are you driving on the edge? Flirting with disaster. Waiting to go off the edge. Because you don't have a guardrail in place. Where's that place that you're doing that? So this week, I want you to answer those questions Honestly, where do I need to start? What are the things I've allowed to start happening? Where am I just getting a little too close? Just a little too close. And we'll pick it up there next week. So I encourage you to be here for all of these messages because they are important to our faith. So before we sing, I'd love to pray for you.